Good morning, church family. Hey, my name is Pastor Walter Alexander, and I'm one of the uh, adult ministry pastors here. In fact, I have a new role that I'm going into called the um, Pastor of Adult Communities. Jack and his family uh, attend the Galileans class, which is uh, a class that goes on uh, at about 11 o'clock. There's, being part of a community here at Lake is just uh, most important. It's just a good way of getting plugged into the community and finding out what's happening around our church family. So I really would love you to get connected to a small group or adult class soon so that you can find out the joys of being in community with one another. That's my heart's desire. Now, um, I also understand, Jack, tell, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but your son is going into the Air Force pretty soon after this Sunday. Today, today, and so we'll see if Psalm 91 has something to speak to us all, including him, um, today as we look into that. Amen? So remember to pray for him as he goes in today. Well, friends, um, you know, it's, it's, been, it's been an interesting election season, hasn't it? I think quite a bit has been talked about recently, Pastor Greg. I'm so grateful to him for his guidance and his leadership of this church to really see where God is leading us together as a church family. And I, and I love that, um, uh, that he said that, you know, Lake Avenue Church, you've got to understand that we are no longer, we're not red and we're not blue. We are instead purple. Purple, right? We are a church that is purple. And so I'm going to tell you a joke now. If you're sensitive, turn your ears off. And I have the ultimate excuse, you see, because I'm not from this country, so I can make political jokes and it's okay. <laughs> Right? Right? So you see, so I thought about, hey, you know, when we like talk with each other and we get really like uh, riled up in our emotions about political stances, we need to have an image in our minds to visualize uh, who we are called to be by God, as Pastor Greg says. So I looked up to see what could, what could we imagine as, as, as a purple sort of image that will help us, and I thought about him. <laughs> and you know, I think Barney is great because he's a lot like Lake Avenue Church. First of all, he's old. He's millions of years old now. I mean, we're like 120. We'll be celebrating that next week. Uh, but we're getting there, you know. Okay, and he loves children. All right, Lake Amy Church loves children as well. You saw that this morning. And, um, and he's just really friendly. So if you can, like, just imagine that as you're talking and, and your know, emotions are getting riled up, you'll be fine, okay? And if he doesn't work for you, there's this other guy that I think you can try to imagine. <laughs> and his name is Grimace. And I'm not even going to go there and talk about Grimace. But he is purple, though, okay? So this, I hope, will help, to help us to really visualize that and think about how we need to love one another. You know, as I said earlier, I and my wife are immigrants. And I have a debt of gratitude to this church family because it is this church that has helped me to uh, get that immigration status that, we, that uh, I'm talking about. My wife and I are permanent residents here in the U.S., and it always confuses us, though, when people from all different backgrounds ask us, where is your home? Where, do you, where is the place that you call home? Because, see, a part of us is like looking at Singapore and seeing, okay, well, I was born there, I grew up there, I have some great memories there, but I no longer live there, even though we go back to visit and my parents are there. So it's kind of like home. And then we look here in, in the United States, and we have a, a house here. We have a home here. We have a church family here. We have family here that we love. And it feels like home, too. It, it, and, and there's so much of this that is talked about in Scripture that, in fact, we as believers are also immigrants ourselves. 
We don't have a nation that we can call home. We have a place, have a person that we can call home. And that's what Psalm 91 is all about, calling God our home. You see this in verse 1. You know, Psalm 91 is one of the most beloved psalms in the whole of Scripture because it makes the most eloquent statement about the comprehensive scope of the Lord's protection over his believers amidst the perils of life's journey. As such, it is an exquisite psalm that people from the early church fathers to Charles Spurgeon have continued to quote and say that if you want to know the character of God, read Psalm 91. There are three movements, generally speaking, to this psalm. The first one is this. In the first two verses, it uses the, the psalmist uses the pronoun I. And the psalmist is expressing his personal faith in God. The second movement is marked by the pronoun you, in which the psalmist is actually talking to the listener or the reader. He uses the word you. And then the final stage is marked by the divine pronoun, where he uses the word I. And here, God is speaking to the reader or the listener and declares what he will be and do for the one who loves him and who calls on him. That's pretty much the structure of Psalm 91. And what does Psalm 91 promise? Because believers all through the ages have gone back to this psalm and looked at God's promises. At first blush, you will see that there's a whole list of things that God says he will do for the believer. And it contains powerful imagery of God's protective care over believers. There are so many things that we could talk about, so many points that we could dwell on this morning, but I, I won't have time for all of that, so I highlighted a few that we might look at. The first one is in verse 3. Verse 3 says, he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. Verse 7 says, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Verse 10 says, No evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague to come near your tent. Verse 12, They will lift you up in their hands, and he's talking about the angels here. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And then in verse 14, God says, I will rescue him. I will protect him. You read Psalm 91 and you begin to wonder, Wow, this is really comprehensive coverage. If uh, God was an insurance agent, he would be broke by now. <laughs> well, I really love this uh, image that uh, God, that is contained in Psalm 91 that describes God's care over us. I love this one. It says, he will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, or the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, or the plague that destroys at midday. He will cover you with his feathers, this is the imagery of like a mother bird or a mother hen covering her chicks under her wings. It is one of the most beloved images in Christian literature of God's loving care over his people. I looked around the internet to see if there are a couple of pictures that could tell us uh, what that kind of looks like, and there's one. You will notice that hens usually don't have so many legs. And I was actually st struck by this picture. And then, well, the next slide actually kind of clarifies. You see the little chicks kind of peeking out from under her wings. That's a picture of God's care over us. He longs to care for us and to gather us under him, to protect us like a mother hen over her chicks. And just as the mother hen literally uses her body to protect her chick's life, Christ literally uses his body to protect his children 
from spiritual destruction. It is a beautiful picture of the cross and Christ's self-sacrificial love over his people. Now, does Psalm 91 mean that those who trust God won't be snared, won't get a disease, won't fall in battle, won't experience evil, won't lose tent makes to the plague, won't crash against a stone, and will always be delivered and protected? Does this approach really bear itself out in reality, friends, that we need not fear any of these things? So you can sleep in a dangerous neighborhood and leave your doors and windows open in the middle of the night because I shall not fear the terror of the night, right? My child temperature soars. His bl white blood count falls. I shall not fear the pestilence that stalks in the darkness. I can plunge into my work in Africa at an Ebola clinic, and I shall not fear the destruction that wastes at midday. Is this a level of faith that, do we have a level of faith that can honestly say these things? Well, let's face the truth, friends. Faith in the protection of God does not remove physical danger or the need for precaution against it. We, can, we cannot ignore things like Middle East travel advisories or feed bears on your camping trips or, yeah, that's right, or jump a hot motorcycle over a couple of parked cars and then just trust that God is going to keep us safe. Right? We cannot smoke cigarettes like the Marlboro Man and then c claim the promises of Psalm 91 against lung cancer. See, a person who did these things would be a foolish believer and definitely would not be reading Psalm 91 the right way. So how do we reconcile that then? It's, it's, it's good that the Bible gives us an example of how to use Psalm 91 and an example of how not to use it. You know, Psalm 91 has a very unusual distinction in Scripture. It is the only passage of Scripture, at least in the, recorded, in the sacred record, that was quoted by the devil. And he quoted it against Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 4, it says that the devil took Jesus to the top of the holy city, let him stand on the highest point of the temple. And then he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Word for word from, from Psalm 91. And then Jesus answered him, Yeah, but it is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So it seems that God's protection does not apply to believers no matter what they do. That it is actually conditional. And Jesus was teaching us that we cannot act like a fool and then count on God to bail us out. Now, God may do it. How many of us can remember times in our lives when we did act foolishly and God still bailed us out? But what it is telling us, though, is that we cannot count on it. We cannot count on it. There are conditions for being under God's protection. So what is this condition that God is talking about? And there are a couple of keys here, and I just want to share one of the keys is so very, very important. And if you just listen to that, you can forget all the rest, really. But this is contained conveniently in verse 1 of Psalm 91. And that is this. He who dwells in the shelter of the secret place of the Most High, that is the person to whom this psalm applies. What does it mean to dwell? Well, it means to remain, to stay to tarry, to endure, to have one's abode or to have one's home in. It suggests continuous permanence. You know, it's a place that you live in. 
It's not a place that you can just leave and come back to and it's, and it's fine, but you're dwelling there permanently. In the New Testament, Jesus himself identifies his disciples as those who abide in him, just as branches abide in the vine. This abiding life is to live and remain in Jesus, and it's the New Testament parallel to dwelling in the shelter of the Most High God. And what is this secret place? What is this shelter that the Bible tells us about? I would say, friends, that it refers to the intimacy of God's presence, our relationship with him. We just sung about that this morning, God's presence and his Holy Spirit. It's a sweet place to be in, God's presence. And one author put it like this, by dwelling or living in the surrender of unceasing worship and prayer, we are like Moses who was put in the cleft of the rock and covered by God's hand while his glory passed by. You know, there's so much to be said about intimacy with God, friends. We don't have time to go into all of it today. You know, in the Old Testament, the only way that you could be close to God was to literally be in the sanctuary or the Holy of Holies where God's presence was said to dwell. And only then it was the high priest who could go in and only once a year that that person could go in and had access to. But thanks be to God that because of what Jesus Christ has done, his shed blood for us on the cross, we have access to God's presence every single day, every single moment we have access to him. And so it behooves us to say, one day I do not want to go to heaven and God asked me, why did you not spend more time with me or be more intimate with me? And my excuse was, I didn't have enough time, Lord. That's not a good excuse. God calls us to do our best to be intimate with him. You see, intimacy with God is more than just confessing your sins and accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Friends, we need to move past that. If we are ones who sincerely desire to dwell in God's presence, worshiping and praying without ceasing is one way or rather one aspect of intimacy. The Bible tells us that we should do this already. In 1 Thessalonians, it says, Rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. It's interesting. So if God tells us that's his will for us, I would say, how can we not do it? I mean, it's, it's, it's possible. He's telling us to do this only because it's possible for us to do that. He would not tell us to do something that is impossible. Now, of course, Jesus is the example for us, and we are not perfect but we can still strive for that intimacy that we can enjoy with God. You know, intimacy with God is also about knowing him. And again, there's a lot to be said about that word know. You know, it, it tells us that, that that word know in this verse means to go beyond intellectual apprehension or information. So you can know a lot about God, but do you know him by personal experience with him? Do you know him by close association and fellowship with him. A relationship like that is something that must be nurtured and must be grown and be deepened and be dynamic. Our knowledge of God begins at conversion but must be cultivated. And in fact, God wants his children to grow and mature in their knowledge of and relationship with him. So Psalm 91 picks up on this idea and it says in verse 14, because he knows my name or because he acknowledges my name. And that is where God says that you will receive his benefits of his protection, is when you really know him. 
Another key in that same verse is loving God. God says, because he loves me, I will do this for him. Well, the expression here literally means or can be translated as because he cleaves to me in love. It's used elsewhere in the context of setting one heart on someone or something. It's a picture of being bound together in love with someone, like two becoming one. So if you're thinking about marriage, the institution of marriage here, that's exactly what God is talking about here. See, we are the bride of Christ, and God is asking us for intimacy with him. And so it says that we should love him with all of our hearts. Jesus said that if you love me, you will do my commands, keep my commands. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, do you know God's will and are you obeying him? Because doing that puts you in a position, positions yourself to receive these blessings of Psalm 91. It's also interesting that there is another condition that is contained in verse 15. It says this, that we should call on him. The promise is that if we call on God, he will answer us. And if we are walking in an intimate relationship with God, you can call on him and expect him to answer. You know, the implication, the picture that it shows to me is of a God who cannot ignore his child, who loves him so completely. He just can't stay away. He cannot resist a call and he has to answer. Again, if you already have an intimate walk with the Lord, you already know this. And, you, and this would be part of your life, praying to him unceasingly, praying, praying to him when you get to work and thanking him that your journey was fine. Praying to him when you are at home, praying to him after and before a meal, one to bless the meal, one to thank him for the meal that you've just had. Intimacy with God looks like that. And calling on him would be second nature to you. So let's be reminded about something that's painfully obvious, but sometimes we just need reminding. Is that a relationship with someone necessitates communication. And it necessitates two-way communication, not just one way. So when we pray to God, expect him to answer. Now, he may not always answer and answer in the way that we expect him to, but he does answer. Sometimes God will speak to us through scripture as we're reading it. Sometimes he will speak to us through our community, uh, other believers who are praying for you, and then God will give them a word, and somehow something sticks out from what they said to you, and that's God speaking to you. Sometimes God can speak to you through a very deep sense in your spirit that you just know that you know that you know that was not you. That was God speaking to you. But friends, the question is, are we listening? You know, it's just I believe that God is speaking to us all the time. It's just that we're so busy that we do not listen to him. We're so caught up with the distractions of this world, and yet when we get to heaven, perhaps one day he will tell us, I was trying to tell you that but you just didn't have time for me. God's presence then leads to his protection. And the theme of this psalm is clear, that God will give complete security and victory to the one who dwells in him and who puts his trust in him. Intimacy and faith will bear that fruit in our lives. However, some of you right now might be thinking of some people that you even know or have heard of who are godly men and women brothers and sisters who have gone through suffering or who are suffering right now. And they have called upon God in their suffering, and yet it seems that God has not answered them, has not delivered them. It seems that Psalm 91 does not address these situations. 
And we might be tempted to ask, if it doesn't apply to these believers, how can it apply to us? And the truth is, friends, that it brings us back to the issue. Does Psalm 91 promise a life that is free from suffering of all kinds to the believer? And the answer must be no. You can see this in Jesus' life, friends. Our very own Lord, instead of following Satan's use of Psalm 91, Jesus embraced the path of suffering. The thorns penetrated his scalp. The whip lacerated his back. The rod struck his head. The nails pierced his hands. And he died. So clearly, the face value of Psalm 91 did not come true for the most godly person this world has ever known. That meaning also didn't come true for five missionaries who were martyred with spears in January 1956 in Ecuador. You may have heard of their story that was captured in the movie The End of the Spear, where they came to evangelize a tribe of natives, and it was the natives that they tried to evangelize who killed them before they could even preach the gospel. But God used that to see that his gospel came to pass in their lives. And we know that story. Elizabeth Elliot, who, was the, who is the wife of Jim Elliot, wrote this book about that about her husband's life, and it was called Shadow of the Almighty. Friends, that's the quote from Psalm 91. And yet he was killed. What is she getting at? Elizabeth Elliot answered like this. The world called it a nightmare of tragedy. The world did not recognize the truth of the second clause in Jim Elliot's credo. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And there's a verse of scripture that talks about this, where Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I think Elizabeth Elliot was on the right track. Satan was not. The writer of Psalm 91 was not mistaken. He wasn't naive. He wasn't foolish. He gave promises of protection that come true for the saints and God's grace over every believer, literally and simply. All of you, for example, us who are sitting here under the sound of my voice right now, would agree to this. A myriad a number of things could have happened to you on the way to church today. You could have been in a car accident. Something could have fallen out of the sky. Your dog could have gotten sick. But you are here sitting comfortably in this sanctuary. I'm convinced that God protects his people in so many ways every day, so many ways that we take for granted and that we continue to be ignorant of. And Psalm 91 applies to that. And we would demean the writer of Psalm 91 if we thought he was unaware of the truth that Paul quoted in Romans chapter 8, 36. For, we, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Or in Psalm 44, um, where Jesus fulfilled the warning of Psalm 22, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hand and feet. The writer of Psalm 91 stands with Jesus who said, some of you will be put to death. And in the same breath, he said, but not a hair on your head will perish. And he stands with the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, who goes through all the heroes of the faith and the saints who escaped the sword. And in the same breath, he said that by faith, others were killed by the sword. So what shall we say about these things, friends? It comes to the conclusion 
inevitable conclusion that Psalm 91 means two things about the suffering of the saints. One is that God often amazingly delivers them physically when others around them are falling. And the other is that God often wills for his children to suffer, but forbids that that suffering hurts them in the end. Such evil will never befall you. Psalm 91 says that as we have added in the witness of the rest of Scripture, what we get is the conclusion that no final evil shall befall us. We all know that we can believe God with all of our heart and yet have our hearts broken by the loss of a child, the treachery of a spouse, or the menace of an evil disease. We know that. And yet, generation after generation of saints have known something else and spoken of it. In the mystery of faith, we find a hand on us in the darkness and a voice that calls our name and the sheer certainty that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God, not in this life nor in the next. And we may be scarred, we may be shaken, but we are also loved. And that love means everything, friends. That love tells us that, love tells us that we do not need to depend or trust on political parties for the fate of our nation. That love tells us that we do not depend on a man for our protection or safety. We depend on the Lord Most High, the God who is enthroned above the heavens. This psalm makes me think about this example. Somebody that I know who was in, with me in law school decided to take a vacation, a trip uh, down to New Zealand. And one of the things that you do in New Zealand is adventure sports. And what he decided to do instead of bungee jumping was whitewater rafting. Okay, and whitewater rafting is generally a safe sport, except that more or less one or two people die every year from it. And so there's still some danger. And he decided to go down this river that was ranked number four out of five in terms of difficulty. So he goes down this raft into the river. And they have little interesting names for these different rapids. Uh, names like the mother-in-law, um, <laughs> the anvil. And this particular one he was about to go into was called the toilet. Little did he know that the toilet had claimed a life of someone just one month ago. Goes into this uh, rapid and comes out the other end and everybody's cheering because the raft is fine and they managed to go through successfully. The problem is that the guide who was in the raft did not see another raft coming down the same rapid just behind them. And that raft collided with his raft and the raft overturned. Everybody fell out. Not only did the raft overturn, though, but the other raft that collided into that one landed on top of it, and he was right underneath both of them. With his face pressed up against the rubber of that, mat, of that raft, he was trying to find a, a place where he could suck in a breath, but there was no air. He tried to find the corner of the rafts, but it, the currents were so strong, it was keeping him underneath that raft, and he couldn't breathe and he began to see his life flashing before his eyes. He began to see things that he had done in his past. He began to see his own funeral and even his parents mourning over his dead body. And then he said, it's probably time for me to die. But then something rose up within him and he said, no, I may have been far from God, but I still believe and trust in him. And he has a calling for my life. Lord, you can rescue me and I will give my life to you. As soon as he uttered those words in his head, a mysterious current pulled him out from under the raft and he came up to the surface. 
he began doing the solo act down the rapids without striking a single rock and hurting himself and then getting out. And as he stood there on the rock, he remembered Psalm 40 that says, he, he took my life from the pit and set my feet on solid rock. And he's serving in ministry today. And friends, the reason why I have so many details about that incident is because that person is me. Friends, I would not be here. Friends, I would not be here speaking to you if Psalm 91 was not for me. And Psalm 91 is for you. And Psalm 91 is for everyone who makes their home in God. This Thanksgiving season, as we go forth into our homes, into our different places where we give thanks, give thanks about that. That God is our refuge and our strength if you choose to make your home in Him. Amen. We may be shaken, we may have arrows pointed at us, but we can rest in the, in the presence of God knowing that He will protect us because you love Him and because He loves us. Let me end with this verse that is the New Testament equivalent of Psalm 91. And as Paul spoke these words in the book of Romans, let's listen to them today. He said in verse 37 of Romans chapter 8, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No evil shall befall us if we only trust in him. Amen. Let us pray. Father, these words that have been spoken today, I pray, Lord, that you have gone forth into the hearts, the minds, and the spirits of my brothers and sisters. We might be thinking today, well, I'm not like Moses, I'm not like Elijah, I'm not a righteous man or woman. How do I come under God's protection? And I believe God is saying to us, just try. The moment that you turn around to face him, God is running toward you. If you draw close to Christ, he will draw near to you. So God, we respond to that invitation. Psalm 91 is an invitation, Lord, to make our home, our abode with you. Teach us, Lord, to do that. Lord, help us to remember that you paid the price for our sins. It's not righteousness that you're looking for from us, but trust. Lord, we trust in you. We put our faith in you. We put our faith in you because you are enthroned above the heavens and you are in control. God, be with us this week as we pray, as we go out and have opportunities to share your gospel and to be your light in the world. Lord, let the words of Psalm 91 ring in our ears that says, you are for us, and you protect us. Oh God, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.